1: Welcome to Fruit Loops, episode 177. Thank you so, so much for listening. we yeah. tiki and bienvenidos, bitches. Fruit Loops is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color and the victims that we don't hear or know much about. Contrary to popular belief, not all serial killers are straight, white, men would you believe it girls there are many (laughs) well-documented cases of serial killers of color and fruit loops is a podcast all about them we will take deep dives into the fascinating lives and crimes of serial killers and true crimes committed by people of color and the victims that the media and entertainment come and leave out because if you haven't guessed the news is racist allegedly (laughs)
0: And we are Wendy and Beth. She's Wendy, a Black Latinx woman. And I'm Beth, and I just happen to be white.
1: And we love her so much for it. She's the best (laughs) white lady you'll ever meet, I'm Uh telling you.
0: <laughs> We're not journalists, investigators, or psychologists, just a couple of gals interested in true crime. Also, the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that our opinions. Please send any questions or comments to Fruit Pod at gmail.com or leave us a
1: voicemail at 602 935 6294. And we may feature it on a future episode. <laughs> also, our website is FruitLoopsPod.com. We use Fruit Loops Pod for all our social media. The footnotes for each episode can be found on our website. Plus, check it out for the different ways that you can support the show and become Fruit Loops Patreon. Uh, you can also support us by supporting our sponsors. Please do. Now, before we get into it, who are we talking about today,
0: Beth? Well, today we're talking about Stephanie St. Clair, the mm. Queen of Numbers, a gangster, mm. civil rights advocate, fashionista, and... businesswoman. Yes, love it. Yes, not technically a serial killer, but she may have killed some folks. Mm -hmm. But anyway, this is (laughs) going to be a little bit different and maybe more of a fun one. I'll say. Yeah. um, But before we get into the fun, how you doing? I'm all right. I mean, it's November 8th. It's election day. Yep. I'm a little anxious.
1: Yeah, I'd say little is an understatement. Understatement, yeah. <laughs> um, but it is election night and I've been distracting myself with things that make me laugh. Um, specifically children's shows, one of which I will shout out at the end of oh, the episode. Cool. Um, and also working on the pod has kept me busy, so that's yeah, also good. That is yes, good. Yeah. Yes, yes, ma'am. Well, look at that. It's listener letter time. Well, hello, angels. Oh, there Thank they are. You. Oh, look at that. Oh, hi, what's in that
0: bag, Beth? Well, guess what's in the bag. Guess. Just guess.
1: Oh, I don't know. Might it start with a P and end with an atreon <laughs>
0: <laughs> Yes, yes. That's, that's all that's in the bag because uh, we don't have any listener letters.
1: <laughs> well, that's plenty, I will say. We do yes. have two new Patreons. They are Chrissy B., a returning champion and Renata T Hip hop air horns Yeah we we love our returning champions we don't we don't cut off the shout outs with when you, nope. if you have to take a break and come back we, we get totally it we understand so yeah so every time you come in and say hello we're here to support you by a yeah. patreon we got a little tune for you so um renata this is for you I see him looking a mile away. We love Renata. Can't see your face. We gotta thank you. That's what we say. My back is aching. My back's too tight. My booty shaking from left to right. Thanks, Renata. <laughs> uh, and uh, this one is for you, Chrissy B. I'm on in every party Soon as I get in this party I'm gonna let go of this party I'm gonna love Fruities Nobody can judge me But me I was born free I'll drop it like a Chrissy Drop it like a Chrissy I said i drop it like a Chrissy Drop it like a Chrissy You bad I said now pop it like a Chrissy Pop it like a Chrissy I said now pop it like a Chrissy Yeah, so those are your tunes And I hope you like them Because I had fun doing them One more hit hip-hop air horn for y'all because we appreciate you so much yeah thank you and we're gonna take a quick break and get into the story when we come back
2: No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. True terrors of horror, bizarre happenings, unexplainable events. On our podcast, Disturbed, Terror Takes Center Stage. Each episode is a journey into the darkest corners of human existence, delving into bone-chilling tales of kidnappings, serial killers, maniacs, and the very essence of your worst nightmares
1: Remind us, Beth, who is our
0: subject today? Our subject today is Harlem legend Stephanie St. Clair, who led a Harlem gang in the 1920s and ran a Harlem numbers business.
1: Oh, oh, St. Clair. (laughs) So Madame St. Clair, she had many AKAs, including Queenie, Madame Queen, Madame St. Clair, and Queen of the Numbers and Harlem's Trap Queen. And I just made that up. Now, regarding <laughs> the people's lives she took, it's hard to nail down any stats since we don't tech. She didn't technically kill anyone herself with her bare hands. Um, but she's got co- the kind of stats I love to talk about. You know, was she a smart black woman ahead of her time? Yes. Um, <laughs> Was she a bad bitch? Yes. Did she did she did she not take any mess from anybody? Absolutely not. And was she an advocate for her community? Fuck, yes. And did she order sold- soldiers to kill people? Maybe. Did they deserve it? Who's to say? Anyway, <laughs> Now it's time for the setting. Take us there, Beth.
0: Well, the setting is Harlem, New York. And we've talked about New York a number of times before, but it's worth reminding that the land where Harlem sits was not, get this, originally inhabited by Europeans. Can you believe it?
1: Maria, no! (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) Before it was
0: colonized, the area that would become Harlem was inhabited by a Native American people, the Wekwesgeek. Uh, I'm mm, sorry if that's I mispronounced an- that but they were dubbed Manhattans or Manhattan by Dutch settlers who, along with other native Americans, most likely in the Lenape occupied the area on a semi nomadic basis.
1: So the colonizers were like, you know what? It's just too hard to pronounce. So Mm -hmm. we're just going to call you John (laughs) essentially. Yeah. 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 So, um, Harlem was settled by the Dutch in 1658 and named after the city of Harlem in the (laughs) Netherlands. (laughs) Uh, there's uh, two and, A's in that. That's right. Yeah. Harlem. Harlem. Uh, <laughs> so during the American Revolution, the British burned Harlem to the ground. Of course they nice. did. As a result, Harlem grew more slowly than the rest of Manhattan during the late 18th century.
0: Starting in 1868, after the American Civil War, Harlem experienced an economic boom. The New York and Harlem Railroad, as well as the interborough Rapid Transit and elevated railway lines, helped Harlem economic growth as they connected Harlem to lower and midtown Manhattan.
1: During a large influx of poor European immigrants in the late 19th century, the white middle class began to flee Harlem. By the early 20th century, Harlem was the destination for migrants from all over the country, attracting both black people from the South seeking work and an educated class who made the area a center of culture as well as a growing black middle class.
0: The National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, or NAACP, was established in 1909 in New York City by Black and white activists, partially in response to the ongoing violence against Black Americans around the country. It is America's oldest and largest
1: civil rights organization. Yeah, it's interesting, the entities in the United States that were created to combat sort of white domestic terrorism, but they they don't really acknowledge that. So the NAACP is very honest about that. But the Department of Justice, I learned, was created... (laughs) to fight the Ku Klux Klan and their violence. So anyway, there's a whole bunch of other American institutions that were sort of created to maybe we should do something about this. this. Yeah, yeah. So during World War I, the migration of laborers from Europe virtually ceased just as the demand for unskilled industrial labor for the war effort rose. So many Black people arrived during the First World War looking for work. And in 1910, an estimated 22,000 Black people lived in Harlem. There is a rose in Spanish Harlem, and by 1920 <laughs> there were 84,000, and by 1930 about 190,000 Black people lived in Harlem. Many of them fleeing Jim Crow violence from the South and seeking economic opportunity in a phenomenon called the Great Migration.
0: After the end of World War One, many Black soldiers who fought in segregated units such as the Harlem Hellfighters came home to a nation whose citizens often did not respect their accomplishments or aspirations for a better life for themselves and their families. They were met with extreme racial violence and threats of racial violence. According to some accounts from Black servicemen, they felt safer in combat war zones than in their own country. That's sad.
1: Well, yeah, that's America. <laughs> yeah. Um, But that's one thing that um Black people have fought in every conflict since before America started, mm-hmm. because... It was a, It's a country worth fighting for. The ideals are worth fighting for. so that's why so many black people and bipoc people and oppressed people continue to serve this country. Race riots and other civil uprisings occurred throughout the United States during the red summer of 1919, when white supremacist terrorism and racial riots occurred in more than three dozen cities across the United States.
0: But during the Great Migration, Harlem attracted an eclectic mix of black educated scholars, entrepreneurial business owners, passionate activists and inspired artists. Harlem underwent a historic transformation during what is now called the Harlem Renaissance, launching an explosion of Black art, music, literature, and politics. Mm. This changed the white default American image of Black people from rural and undereducated to one of urban, cosmopolitan sophistication.
1: Yeah, and I remember, I'll I'll never forget seeing, reading about the Harlem Renaissance in a history book, and the paragraph was basically as long as the one you just read. Oh, and that was it, but when, we, when it. We, we're when we, going to get into it a little bit more, but it's yeah. such a fascinating time yeah. in American history. So yeah. um, the Harlem Renaissance was an explosion of culture, redefining how America and the world viewed American Black people. This new identity led to a greater social consciousness, and Black people became players on the world stage, expanding intellectual and social contexts internationally.
0: Harlem thrived as a cultural hub for Black people. Artistic Black people from all over the country flocked to Harlem, where their creativity was fostered. And leaders like W.E.B. Du Bois worked to ensure that Black Americans got the credit they deserved, enabling the community to develop a
1: collective identity. Prior to the Renaissance, if Black actors appeared on stage, it was in a minstrel show, musical, and rarely in a serious drama, with non-stereotypical roles. In 1917, several stage plays were performed featuring Black actors and conveying complex human emotions. What? A revolutionary rejecting... <laughs> crazy. The st- I can't <laughs> believe it. Rejecting the stereotypes of the Blackface and minstrel show traditions.
0: The visual arts were never very welcoming to Black artists. Art schools, galleries, and museums shut them out. Sculptor Meta Warwick Fuller, a protege of Auguste Rodin, explored African-American themes in her work and influenced Dubois to champion Black visual artists. Aaron Douglas, often called the father of Black American art, adapted African techniques to create paintings and murals, as well as book illustration.
1: I love that. In 1919, Jamaican-American poet Claude McKay published his sonnet, If We Must Die responded to the wave of white on black race riots and lynchings following the conclusion of the First World War after black veterans returned home expecting respect and at the very least tolerance, but they mm. did get it. Yeah. Um, in fact, some black servicemen were getting together and saying, Don't go anywhere in your uniform because it's going to, it's going to, these white people are going to lose their minds. Wow. (laughs) So, anyway, Langston Hughes, a Black LGBTQ American poet who viewed writing as a way to, quote, express our individual dark skinned selves without fear or shame, unquote, famously wrote about the period that, quote, the Negro was in vogue, unquote. Hmm. The Harlem stride or
0: just stride was a new way of playing the piano derived from Kansas City jazz and an extension of ragtime. The tempo was considerably faster
1: than ragtime and harmonically more adventurous. So at rent parties, a practice in black communities to help black community member like a black community member who maybe needed money to pay their rent, um is where pianists competed with one another and attempted to outplay each other. Um and rent parties weren't always didn't always have pianists sometimes it was right. just music and dancing but at these um at sometimes at these parties attendees paid to be present and um witness these cutting contests where the pianists were dueling each other kind of remind
0: reminds me of rapping you know those ah, rap battles
1: yeah yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and culturally it, it makes sense this sort of um challenging skills uh, yes. a competition of skills a competition of skills yeah there we go very cool trademark that shit (laughs) with
0: groundbreaking new music came a vibrant nightlife the savoy opened in 1927 an integrated ballroom with two bandstands that featured continuous jazz and dancing well past midnight the cotton club was one of several white clubs catering to white people only who wanted to experience black culture without actually <laughs> having to socialize with black people.
1: <laughs> you know, it's, it, it's, it's really so a ridiculous. wild notion. It's a wild notion, Fucking but throughout <laughs> it makes it the cotton club is just a, um, a mini version of schools and workplaces where you know black white people don't really can can sort of get a little bit of blackness but not too much you know what yeah. I mean you know what too um, much we don't yeah you just we just want to
0: watch them yeah we just mean- want to observe them like they're in a zoo you don't exactly. actually want to socialize exactly
1: exactly and meanwhile to survive BIPOC people and black people have to know Everything we we know white people better than white people know themselves i bet um, you too. to survive yeah
2: <laughs> to yeah. survive
1: so i wow. and i just think that's interesting that that was spelled out with the, with the cotton when referring yeah. to the cotton club yeah yeah so um, some of the most celebrated names in American music regularly performed in Harlem, such as Louis Armstrong, Duke Ellington, Bessie Smith, Fats Waller, and Cab Calloway, often accompanied by elaborate floor shows. Tap dancers like John Bubbles and Bill Jangles Robinson, Bojangles, um, were also <laughs> popular uh, That's a throwback. For Fruit Loose fans, however, the coveted, the coveted performers were not allowed in front of the in the front door, or to use the facilities in these white clubs. So, entertain us, but still don't get too close. But stay out of our stuff. Yeah. Stay don't, out of our way.
0: Don't yeah. actually come near us. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Josephine Baker, an American dancer, singer, and actress, was a major fashion trendsetter for both Black and white women. Mm. Baker became known for the large hoop earrings that she regularly wore. Hello! And her gowns from French fashion designer Jean Patou were much copied, especially her stage costumes, which Vogue
1: magazine called Startling! Oh, you mean you noticed my beautiful black body in this beautiful, (laughs) amazing fashion? Wow, (laughs) thank you. (laughs) Uh, So she performed the Danse Sauvage in Paris, wearing a costume that consisted of a skirt made of a string of artificial bananas. Her success, (laughs) I love it. I love love the... um, it it reminds me of burlesque, which is something yeah, I'm yeah. planning on getting into. And burlesque is really it's a mockery. It's just making fun of the ridiculous, and I love that.
0: Yeah, and uh, Minnie put a picture of her in the script, and uh, it, it's really cute.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, because the racist trope is that black people are like monkeys, right? And so if All I'm dancing right, beautifully and in a sexy manner <laughs> with artificial <laughs> bananas, it's a big <laughs> fuck you to racism. If yeah. <laughs> you ask. (laughs) don't you think (laughs) yeah yeah i didn't think of it that way but yeah yeah so her success coincided with the Exposition des Art des that gave birth to the term Art Deco, and also with a renewal of interest in ethnic forms of art, including African. Jazz
0: dance was also an invention of the Harlem Renaissance. Jazz dances of the 1920s, like the Charleston, popularized worldwide by Josephine Baker, evolved into swing dances of the 30s, like the Lindy Hop. These were vibrant, energetic social dances, the likes of which the world had never seen before
1: (laughs) which is true it's true yeah yeah it's i mean you're going
0: from the waltz to like dancing
1: these crazy dances crazy kids (laughs) well yeah and and, it also speaks to the 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 level of freedom that black people have oh yeah um you know black people have always danced right i mean we can't we really can't help ourselves and on the plantation black people would dance on cue because white their masters would make them do it but also there was um a form of dance that black people do making fun of white people but the white people didn't know that they were making (laughs) fun of them and so just with the opportunity to (laughs) be free look what we can do yeah (laughs) So anyway, so the progress, right? We're we're progressing. We're getting better. Both symbolic and real during this period became a point of reference from which the Black community gained a spirit of determination that provided a growing sense of both Black urbanity and Black militancy. That is not a bad thing, by the way, as well as a foundation for the community to organize, build upon for the civil rights struggles in the 50s and 60s.
0: It was solidly within the Harlem Renaissance that today. Subject built her business, the numbers game. Mm. The numbers game, also known as the numbers racket, is a form of illegal gambling or illegal lottery played mostly in poor and working class neighborhoods in the United States. It's also called the policy racket, the name policy based on insurance, which is also a gamble on the future.
1: Yeah, and interesting to me is that like rich white people don't play the lottery. Right. But everybody I know. Plays it plays a Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So before the government took over the lottery in America, numbers running was a way Black people gambled in America. It created an entire underground economy in which women, particularly women of color in America, could participate in making money.
0: Within this underground economy, in Harlem in particular, the money made would be stored with Black banks, and Black people could enjoy having fun gambling while also banking within their own community. It's similar to the... The legal lottery we play today, wherein a better attempts to pick numbers that match those that will be randomly drawn the following day. And hey, I just bought a Powerball ticket yesterday.
1: <laughs> hey, man, girl, I bought one every day this week. Yeah, the payout is one billy. That's it's, serious it's up money. Two two billion now. Whoa! But if you cash out, you get one, $1 billion dollars in yeah. your yeah. bank.
0: Yeah. Hello. I mean, yeah. You you really. I mean, even if you lose, uh, it it was worth the shot, you know? Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So back, back, uh, back, way back in the 1920s, (laughs) (laughs) it could cost as little as a
1: penny. To bet
0: on these in these numbers. Uh. You
1: can't win if you don't play. Yeah. Amen. Yep. It's true. So in Harlem in particular, a player picked a set of three digit numbers between zero 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 and nine nine nine. And the winning numbers were drawn from the New York Stock Exchange and sometimes horse races. Um, there's a whole formula. It's very complicated. Google it if you're curious. Google is free. <laughs>
0: The Harlem Numbers game depended on several people. There were the bankers, clerks, numbers runners, and players. For Black people, it was work and play at the same time. So if you won some money, you could use it to do something fun, pay the bills, or take care of your family.
1: Yeah. The Numbers game helped finance Black enterprise and support Black community reinvestment. Not to mention... Black people had limited options for employment, which were often domestic or agricultural um, or service work. And the numbers yeah, not, game was not a, fun. Not fun work. <laughs> not fun work. Oh my yeah. god! Yeah, no, not <laughs> the not, not not the most desirable not in any jobs. Way, shape, and, or
0: form. yeah. Right,
1: and then um, little chance to improve or no, get no out uh, and try something else. Right. Yeah. So the game was just another option for them.
0: Anyway, gamblers place bets with a book. Maker or bookie at a tavern, bar, barbershop, or hair salon, social club, or any other semi private place that acts as an illegal betting parlor. Numbers runners carry the money and betting slips between the betting parlors and the headquarters, called a numbers bank.
1: The New York white mobster and racketeer Dutch Schultz reportedly rigged the system by betting heavily on certain horse races to change the numbers that determine the winning lottery number. This allegedly added 10% to the mob take. Initially, the mob wasn't interested in what was going on in black and brown neighborhoods. And eventually, uh, he became a problem for the Madame.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Interestingly, all of
0: the 13 original colonies at one time or another operated legally run lotteries didn't know really? that. Yeah. Over the years, though, the scandals and cheating that became associated with these lotteries caused officials to enact anti-lottery laws.
1: Cheating is really interesting when you look at it from an American lens, because I'm watching the election results and looking at these dist- redistrict drawings. Oh, yeah. You want to talk about cheating? Yeah. Oh, boy, yeah. oh, boy. <laughs> so it's uh it's been reported that by the mid-1920s, 30 policy banks were operating in Harlem, and each operation employed 20 to 30 runners, so upwards of 900 people. By 1931, big-time numbers operators in Harlem, aside from Stephanie St. Clair, included James Warner, Casper Holstein, Ellsworth Bumpy Johnson, Wilfred Bunder, Jose Miro, Joseph Ison, Maz Joe Eason, and Simeon Francis. The game survived despite periodic police crackdowns.
3: revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today.
1: So now we're going to get into the early life of Madame St. Clair. What do you got, Beth?
0: <laughs> Stephanie St. Clair's date and location of birth are not clear. She was born around 1890 in French Guadalupe, formerly the French West Indies. Some sources say she was born in Martinique. Others say France. Either way, she was born at a time when Black people and women were not formally educated or well-off economically, and she was one of four children.
1: The historical dispute over her early life and conflicting accounts are either due to lack of diligence on the part of journalists at the time or, for whatever reason, intentional misleading by Sinclair herself during later interviews. Um, and I, I once source said she was doing interviews from the, her jail cell at one oh, point. Oh, wow. <laughs> it dressed up all fancy and stuff. So um, maybe she she thought it was more glamorous to have been born in France after yeah. all this was during the Harlem Renaissance renaissance and flash and glamour were admired yeah i can see that Mm -hmm,
0: mm -hmm. There is surviving documentation of her travels and a marriage, but that documentation also contains conflicting information. Most of what we know about Madame St. Clair is information that she provided.
1: And I just, I love, I love that aspect of her existence. (laughs) Like, I'm only going to, she's like a Beyonce. She's like a Oh my God, (laughs) this revelation has changed my life. She's (laughs) like a Beyonce. There's one, there's one interview of Beyonce where she's basically interviewing herself and answering her own (laughs) questions. And it's one of the best, one of my favorite Beyoncé interviews. Um, It's like that. So on um, July 22nd, 1911, she is in the ship's manifest as having boarded the SS Guiana from Guadeloupe and arrived in New York nine days later. From there, she traveled to Terrebonne, Quebec, a suburb of Montreal, the ship's manifest listed her as a servant. She was married in 1915
0: to George Gachette, an immigrant from Dominica who petitioned for naturalization in 1928. He was an elevator operator or engineer, as well as a social activist who worked in New York and legally married St. Clair at Benedict the More Catholic Church in New York on January 6, 1915.
1: One biographer says she was born December 24th, 1897. Other biographies give her birthplace as Martinique and some as France. St. Clair herself insisted her birthplace was in France. Her birth year is sometimes listed as 1897. With so many things unknown or unclear about her, what is known for sure is that she was able to read and write in both French english and she spoke spanish as well she was fashionable intelligent and educated a woman (laughs) in total control of herself she was a trap queen and for you white listeners olb original lady boss which is A new one for me, but I'll take it. Now, let's get into the timeline. Hit it, Bev. Sometime in the
0: early to mid-1920s, St. Clair separated from George. It's unclear why or exactly when. Around this time, according to one biography of her, she also became a leader of a local gang, the 40 Thieves, that ran extortion and theft schemes. But uh, we couldn't really find confirmation of this.
1: St. Clair was successful at the time in a lawsuit against a former landlord who illegally evicted her from her apartment. She got $1,000 compensation, which in today's dollars is about $15,000. Wow. And yeah. Oh, wow. Indeed. Yeah. She used that compensation as part of the capital needed to venture into the numbers game.
0: Whether it was by these means or by running her own crime gang called the 40 Thieves that ran extortion and theft rackets, somehow she accumulated a large nest egg. And St. Clair then invested $10,000, about $174,000 and today's money to develop her own numbers game in 1923, becoming what was then called a policy banker.
1: I love, love this. Yeah. She is, oh, she's my hero. (laughs) So in Playing the Numbers, Gambling in Harlem Between the Wars, authors Shane White, Stephen Garton, Stephen Robertson, and Graham White argue that the numbers game was, quote, the black business, end quote, of the early 20th century. Cosmopolitan Black communities across the country, from Chicago's South Side to Harlem, played numbers in different ways. The game was massively popular all across northern cities.
0: This was at a time when Black Americans were often denied bank loans, were even denied access to banks at all. And they were skeptical of white-controlled banks. I wonder why.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Hmm. (laughs) Gee!
0: (laughs) According to Stephen Robertson, the illegal numbers game or policy was, quote, akin to putting money in the stock market. Many saw it as an investment, and it was often just as risky as putting money in the stock market back then, unquote.
1: Throughout Harlem, Stephanie St. Clair was referred to as Madame St. Clair, the grand dame. Um, She was on the level of Madame C.J. Walker, who was um, America's first Black female millionaire. Yeah. Um, and she made her money off of um selling hair products to black women. And in the rest of Manhattan and other city boroughs, she was referred to as Queenie. This is Stephanie St. Clair.
0: Yeah. St. Clair was outspoken, taking out full page ads in local newspapers, expressing her thoughts and views. Wow. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. And I am you I also hear me. <laughs> <laughs> she also had a potty mouth, which I love. <laughs>
0: She spared no expense in advocating in the press for immigrant rights, explaining voting rights to her community and speaking against police brutality.
1: By the way, in um, black pop culture, you can see sort of examples of Queenie in The Wiz, which is a.k.a. the black version slash better version of The Wizard of Oz. (laughs) And it's (laughs) um, it's that's uh, an example of Queenie St. Clair. And Madame St. Clair was also portrayed by Cicely Tyson in the movie. Publum. And finally, they must have been listening to us because there are grumblings of an HBO project that is in the works, out of the works. Anyway, somebody seems to be working on something at HBO about this woman. So, yeah, yeah. Madame St. Clair was the high priestess of
0: petty. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) One of the ads that she took out in the paper was addressed to potential suitors and directed them to, quote, Please not annoy me. I, (laughs) Madame St. Clair, am not looking for a husband or a sweetheart. If you do not stop annoying me, I shall publish your names and letters in the newspaper.
1: I love it. I love a good like drag and a fuck you in the news. Oh, my God. How did she do that? Madame St. Clair, will you adopt me? So Madame St. Clair clearly or clearly, LOL, had had no time for anyone's nonsense. Not today, Satan. And although she expressed no interest in partnering romantically with men, she did make use of male protection for her business.
0: There was actually another entrepreneurial Black woman running a numbers game from her home at the same time, Alberta Green. She was described as being in her 40s at the time and was known as the policy queen of South
1: Jamaica. Okay. Now, unlike (laughs) St. Clair, though, Green was actually running her business by herself without the help of any male protection, no soldiers, no police payoffs, no organization. And instead, she turned her home into an armed fortress guarded by numerous bolts and locks on each door and by two ferocious police dogs in the rear. That sounds scary. It does. It does. It sounds like it sounds like she built her own prison, too. Yeah, it to doesn't honest. sound
0: healthy or fun. <laughs> uh-huh.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah. It's um, what's what's that white um guy who invented planes who started peeing in jars? Oh, yeah.
0: Um. Yeah. What's his face? Good old what's his face? Um, I don't
1: know. Leonardo DiCaprio played him in a movie. Yes. But that's
0: in, what, the the Aviator. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: That's, yeah, that's I what I
0: can't it remember his name. Of. But yeah, it sounds miserable. Yeah. Yep. Ultimately, that led her business to fail as she was turned in by informants and her home in Jamaica, Queens, was raided by police. She was arrested in 1935 during a crackdown on vice led by religious and community leaders.
1: These kinds of businesses were sometimes the only ventures that women, and especially Black women, could go into at the time. Any type of formal business or career track was generally male-dominated. Acceptable career paths
0: for men, like factory work, office work, management, business ownership, political positions, etc., you know, were deemed unacceptable for women at the time. Some might argue to this day as well.
1: Well, uh, all voting in favor of the truth, I (laughs) (laughs) so Any woman attempting to go through traditional routes to pursue these kinds of jobs would have been blocked from doing so. So if a woman wanted to support herself through any means other than domestic servitude or becoming a wife or a mother, get that MRS degree, (laughs) y'all. There were very few options. Some of these options at the
0: time were sex work, spiritualism, which were tarot readings, palm readings, contacting the dead, stuff like that. Call me
1: for your free reading, Miss Cleo. Cleo, yeah. You're free reading now, <laughs> Yaman. Yeah, Did you know her accent? She's fake. Her accent is fake. Oh, I mean, I, aside the back from, I the believe she, it. Yeah, yeah. She wasn't a real psychic, and she right. wasn't a real Caribbean woman. Okay, I said it. She's she's trying to, you know, she's hustling. She's trying to earn that money. Yeah, thrive. and yeah, I can't be mad at that.
0: Yeah, or running numbers games, all of which were referred to as informal work.
1: <laughs> that's insulting. How yeah, dare you? That's very How insulting. Dare you. Fuck you. Uh, yeah. I uh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. <Damn>. Sometimes uh, <laughs> uh, why am I laughing? I don't know. Because it's it's uh, it, we would be sobbing if we yeah, couldn't laugh. True,
0: true. Because it's
1: it's just the way of the world. <laughs> and we have to work to change it for the next generation. Yeah. Right.
0: Uh, yeah, <laughs> one would hope. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, it's election day. Ah!
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's gonna anyway. be. Awful. Should we stop for a breathing exercise or a meditation no. exercise? Okay. <laughs> <All right.
0: laughs> Women also worked as employees at numbers banks. During her teenage years, singer Ella Fitzgerald actually worked as a Harlem numbers runner. Oh, my God. I've been working. On,
1: I, I love this because I've been working on my Ella Fitzgerald scatting. Ah, um, Skibba-da-ba-da-ba-da-ba-da-ba-dee-a. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, I love that. Anyway, turns out even the informal work was male-dominated. Shocking. <laughs> St. Clair got through it by payoffs and by partnering with male bosses, quote unquote. They like to be called that for protection. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, male domination of the numbers game extended to players as well. While perfectly acceptable for male and of any race to gamble, whether legally or illegally, black women who indulged in this were often considered mm-hmm. addicts. Oh, mm-hmm. my God. Yeah. Who were sacrificing their family's financial and spiritual well-being in favor of this menace to women's virtue and womanhood. Oh, oh, <laughs> Lord. oh no. (laughs) Child, Father God, please cast out these money laundering, gambling demons out of these women, Lord. Yes, Lord. Amen. (laughs) Publications
0: of the time indicated that black women gamblers had no mental compass and preferred gambling over, quote, saving money for rent and food, unquote. Hmm. Uh,
1: Hmm. They don't
0: say that about the men, though, do they?
1: No, they do not. No, they don't. Nope. Both
0: both female gamblers and females who ran gambling business were looked down upon unless they had the proper male support to do so.
1: Of course
0: course right
1: because it's true that women are often seen as merely vessels to procreate yeah yeah we're not important <laughs> yeah so anything else unacceptable right. despite the patriarchy black women involved in this informal work as they say were able to pay medical bills school tuition and get their hair done and gain some kind of independence all good things.
0: Yeah. St. Clair developed the first numbers bank located in Harlem. Here, she and her partners, which included Ellsworth, Bumpy Johnson, made the first significant criminal fortunes in Black New York.
1: If you're thinking the name Bumpy Johnson, that sounds familiar. It might be because Bumpy Johnson has been the subject of character On a number of Hollywood films, including The Cotton Club, Hoodlum, which we just mentioned, and most recently, American Gangsta, where Madame Sinclair's, uh, well, where's her movie? But in American Gangsta, he played um, the guy who Denzel Washington at the beginning of the movie was working for. And right. eventually took over. Um, but anyway, Madame Saint Clair needs a movie. I need to see it now. Uh, <laughs> HBO said, H- you know, HBO yeah. got got the project. They just haven't put it out. So what are you waiting yeah, for? They
0: reported in 2020 that they had one in the works, and then crickets.
1: Yeah, what's the deal, y'all? Don't know. In
0: 1930, Saint Clair was said to have amassed five hundred thousand dollars, or about eight million today. Okay. Well, <laughs> well,
1: this is not an informal anything. This yeah. is this is serious this capital. Is serious-
0: business. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Her annual income
0: was $200,000 and she lived in an apartment building that housed prominent members of the community, including NAACP activist Walter White, playwright Catherine Butler-Jones, writer and activist W.E.B. Bois, and future Supreme Court Justice Thurgood Marshall.
1: I would have loved to be a fly on the wall on an elevator ride down, down, all those people down, yeah. With all of, oh my god, can you imagine? Oh my it god, think of uh, what,
0: uh, only murders in the building, yes. they're all running,
1: <laughs> yes, but but this is real life, like. It's historical like heroes, juggernauts, right? right. right? <laughs> so initially, St. Clair had little competition except for Caspar Holstein, a black man who had developed his own lottery called Bolito. And by 1920, he became known in the New York underworld as the Bolito King.
0: By the end of the 1920s, Holstein controlled a massive numbers-running operation, as well as nightclubs and several other legitimate business enterprises. His income was rumored to be as high as $12,000 a day at his peak. Wow. After
1: Prohibition ended in 1933, too, and during the Great Depression, white New York mobsters saw their profits rapidly diminish. Prior to this, they considered the numbers racket to be small potatoes. But when they saw the profits being made by non-white folks, <laughs> they decided they wanted and needed a cut. Dixie Davis, a
0: white attorney who often represented Black people in the numbers game, decided he wanted to take control of it, and he brought Uh-oh. in Dutch Schultz. A Bronx native, Schultz was a notorious bootlegger with more than 100 underlings who enforced his rackets.
1: New York State's special prosecutor, Thomas, isn't that what um Preet's title was? uh
0: not special prosecutor no um, oh okay sorry uh i forget what it is something prosecutor but not special
1: oh it's it's not tattooed on your belly <laughs> <laughs> not Free yet Barbara. but that's a good idea <laughs> okay next, Maybe right, next across year. My, right across my belly <laughs> so <laughs> I, I i can hear the wheels turning in your brain now new York, new york state you have a you have a uh the fbi base pillow and then you have pre-war they tattooed across tattooed your, your chest belly. yeah so um new york beth loves justice guys and true crime So New York State Special (laughs) Prosecutor Thomas E. Dewey viewed Schultz as public enemy number one, later writing in his autobiography that he, quote, regarded it as a matter of primary importance to get Dutch Schultz, unquote. The Schultz gang then began
0: a takeover of the Harlem numbers racket. Black numbers runners were not career criminals, and violence had not been a part of their trade. Additionally, Dixie Davis represented many of Harlem's black policy operators and had a strong influence over them. Dutch Schultz brought in the guns and the muscle and the political influence which Black people did not have.
1: Davis advised his clients that Schultz and his gang were too powerful to fight with. One by one, including Casper Holstein, they folded. But Stephanie St. Clair was a different story. She balked at Schultz's overtures, went straight to the Harlem newspapers, (laughs) and took out an ad to reveal how Schultz was trying to steal her business. I love how she just
0: goes Straight to the
1: next. You know what? Well, and and what? You know, she could have gone down too, and I think did yeah. at one point, right? For this, but fuck right. it, wall yeah. to the wall, bitches, cocks <laughs> out. <laughs> cocks out wangs out the sun's out guns out buns out all all of it all of everything out <laughs> everything out
0: <laughs> the schultz gang then engaged in a bloody war with saint Clair and her allies for control of her numbers business saint Clair didn't mince words in her declaration of war on schultz quote i'm not afraid of dutch schultz or any other living man he'll never touch me I will kill Schultz if he sets foot in Harlem. He is a rat. The policy game is my game,
1: unquote. You tell tell him, girl. You tell him. (laughs) Shots fired. <laughs> now, St. Clair moved swiftly against Schultz, organizing the remaining black policy owners in her fight against the Dutchman. She and her allies violently confronted white store owners who were collecting bets on Schultz's behalf, smashing cases, destroying policy bets and ordering their adversaries out of Harlem. Get out of here. Get the fuck out of here. GTFOH, I think, is the acronym. St. Clair also took out ads encouraging the people of Harlem to play black and only place numbers bets with black organizers and I think also put their money in black banks.
0: Right. Right. Schultz quickly retaliated. He started calling St. Clair's home to threaten her. He kidnapped and murdered her men. He even placed a contract on her life, forcing St. Clair at one point to hide in a cellar covered oh. in coal.
1: <laughs> oh, my goodness. Wow. Wow. Another wow.
0: time, Schultz sent an underling to intimidate St. Clair, but she gained the upper hand, pushed the man into a closet, locking him in and proceeding to tell her bodyguards to, quote, take care of him, unquote.
1: Oh, I love it. More, please. So over 40 <laughs> people were killed in ganglin related violence, including the murders of Harlem numbers operators. Despite this, St. Clair and Ellsworth Bumpy Johnson initially refused to surrender to Schultz. Over time, however, their power weakened. St. Clair made several futile complaints to
0: local authorities about harassment from the New York Police Department, which she felt aided Schultz, and it probably did. Mm -hmm. Without political influence at City Hall, her concerns were ignored.
1: However, (laughs) in in response so, uh, I got another something for you. <laughs> St. Clair took out several ads in Harlem newspapers accusing senior police officers of various forms of corruption. She named them. This is their name. This is their phone number. Their kids go to this school and their address (laughs) is this. And outraged by this, the police arrested her on several exaggerated trumped up ass charges. In response, she testified to New York State's Seabury Crime Commission about the large number of kickbacks she had paid these police motherfucker, dirty hoes officials to protect her operations. Her charges led to the dismissal of several police officers. Winnie! Yeah.
0: But as St. Clair realized she could no longer oppose Schultz, she agreed to a truce, which transferred the power and profits from her organization to Schultz and the Italian mafia headed by Lucky Luciano.
1: But no weapon formed against me shall prosper because in 1935, Dutch Schultz was assassinated on the orders of Luciano. Although St. Clair was not involved in his murder, she was remembered for sending an infamous telegram to his bedside where he lay dying, which said, quote, as ye sow, so shall ye reap, unquote. (laughs) (laughs) The telegram reportedly made headlines across the nation. Yeah, he messed with the wrong one and he fucked up And found out. Now, (laughs) St. Clair's former Lieutenant Ellsworth Bumpy Johnson then became the Mafia's representative in Harlem while she moved on to other things. St. Clair's notoriety continued to grow even after
0: her war with Schultz came to an end. In 1936, her non-legal marriage by contract... To Bishop Amiru al Minin, Sufi Abdul Hamid, an eccentric, controversial, anti-Semitic race activist, popularly dubbed Black Hitler, huh. dominated headlines of Black newspapers across the country.
1: Hmm. I wonder if a rapper who shall not be named has heard of this individual. <laughs> oh, yeah. And yeah. Um. But anyway, you know, the by-contract marriage thing, I guess, is like a weird prenup so she after like 90 years or some shit um then they can split the assets but before that time 90 years yeah all uh, before that i guess it's each individual it's 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 something like that there's like a timeline on when the assets can be split or um divvied up after the marriage so anyway uh culture corner alert (laughs) the discussion of black people and jewish people is an old one. Both groups have been the subject of hate and terrible violence all over the world since the beginning of time. Sometimes oppressed groups are pitted against each other to their detriment and to the triumph of the nefarious oppressor. And there are black Jewish people, which I wanted to say because I think that's important to know. There are yeah. black Jewish people. So whatever the whatever anti-Semitism is is coming from a black person, that should be understood. There's also black Jewish people in Africa. Lots of them. Um, but anyway, oppressed people do best when we work together. That's the yeah. bottom line. And two yeah. years ago, we should remember, because this is election night, a Jewish man and a black man made it to the Senate on the same day. Yeah. January, yeah, it was January 6th, but on the same day in the South. So progress like that is what I try to think of when, you know, we are faced with this anti-black kind of or anti-Semitism. Yeah. yeah, this fuckery. Yeah. yeah.
0: In their contract, the 40-something-year-old St. Clair and the 30-year-old Hammond agreed to a one-year trial period okay so this is making more sense to me now she's 40 something he's 30
1: (laughs) oh okay okay
0: now this is making sense all right okay
1: okay the contract part okay got it got it Or
0: the pairing of them
1: together oh right (laughs) okay okay what is she doing with
0: this dude oh he's 30 gotcha Uh
1: okay okay okay
0: If the pair decided not to continue their relationship at that point, they could terminate the contract. If, on the other hand, they remained certain of their feelings for each other, they would hold a legal ceremony.
1: I like this. I know it's not a common thing. It's in the not States.
0: traditional. It's yeah, definitely but not. I, but I don't like, see anything wrong with it.
1: Yeah. If I'm expected to marry somebody. Yeah. Let me just test it out. Please Let's test it out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah why not? Uh, so Hamid claimed to have been born in the shadows of the Egyptian pyramids and a descendant of Egyptian pharaohs. In fact, he was likely born Eugene Brown in Lowell, <laughs> Massachusetts. <laughs> There are no pyramids in Massachusetts. No. A labor... Eugene is not very exotic. Nope. Eugene. Uh, Eugene. Uh, So a labor activist, he advocated for Black separatism while, quote, wearing a turban wrapped around his head, a black and crimson lined cape, a green velvet blouse, and black riding boots, unquote. Now... Now, <laughs> Uncle Eugene uh, is what what, what I'm – he's giving Uncle Eugene vibes. This is Uncle Eugene who's really – he got a big tax income check after April and went to the Rainbow and got some new – Duds, and this this is this is this is the product right here. You know the rainbow, right? No, no, that's oh rainbow. the rainbow, the rainbow. There's every hood has a rainbow, and it is a clothing store where you can get perfume, hoop earrings, school uniforms, every, everything, and the you latest need. fast fashion. Gotcha, yes. gotcha. But they okay. don't sell snacks or have bathrooms. Anyway, oh okay. <laughs> According to
0: historian Murray Friedman, who wrote a book called What Went Wrong? The Creation and Collapse of the Black Jewish Alliance. Hamid, quote, courted the German-American Bund and the Nazi-like Christian Front, unquote, which is really weird.
1: That's dangerous.
0: Yeah. He organized violent boycotts of Jewish-owned establishments and advocated for businesses to instead hire Black employees.
1: Wow. And, and I will just say that um this, as I said, everything works better when we all work together. Yeah. And um, the zero-sum game is what has us where we are now. This idea that... If, If somebody, if they gain, I get nothing. Yeah, Yeah. then
0: you lose. Yeah, Right.
1: And that doesn't, it it doesn't work for anybody. No. So the couples union soon imploded. Surprise! On January 19th, 1938, St. Clair fired three bullets at Hamid after learning of his affair with, quote, a conjure woman from Jamaica, unquote. According to Hamid, the closest she came to hitting him was nicking his teeth. (laughs) No big deal. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Convicted for his attempted murder, St. Clair was sentenced to two to 10 years at New York State Prison.
0: During sentencing, presiding judge James G. Wallace said, quote, This woman has been living by her wits all her life, unquote. As St. Clair was led out of the courtroom, she reportedly, quote, Kissed her hand to freedom, unquote, which I, I'm not familiar with that expression.
1: I'm... I, oh,
0: i was gonna ask you what it meant okay, yeah i'm not I, really sure i'm i'm imagining her kissing her hand and then throwing and it up in the air it. Yeah, yeah waving
1: yeah. it like a yeah, like, like she's on a float
0: at yes. the macy's day parade
1: goodbye goodbye <laughs> like, yes
0: that's that's what i'm imagining anyway
1: me too me too but somebody tell us what yeah, does it let really us, mean if you've ever yeah. heard any person say that before i am curious yeah.
3: And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects. So
1: now we're going to get into where are they now? Following her release from prison, the details of St. Clair's life became... Hazy. A 1943 article in the Black New York Amsterdam News says she visited relatives back in the West Indies before returning to live out her days in seclusion, likely in Harlem.
0: Historian LaShawn Harris traces St. Clair's last address to a Long Island psychiatric facility where, in December 1969, she died at the age of 72 or possibly 82, depending on her true birthday. Her death wasn't widely publicized.
1: I thought that was interesting. She lived so long, considering yeah. in general, time, black people have yeah. the time and black people generally and black women generally have yeah. uh shorter life expectancies right. than other people. And so yeah. that's a long time to live for the time. Yeah. So according to Harris, in her later years, Sinclair made a conscious effort to stay out of the public eye. Quote, she probably didn't go out like she wanted, or maybe she did, but she didn't die with money. She had kind of a rags to riches story than riches to rags, unquote. And I don't know if that is I, I will say sources I consulted, which were black women sources who researched this woman said that she did die wealthy. So
0: okay, and and it it would make sense. Um, if she died at the age of 72, if she had money, yeah. because that's, you know, you
1: can, how how else would she have? Yeah. lived, Right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: yeah. Harris questions whether St. Clair was really all that different from other in industrial titans of the era. Quote, St. Clair should be included in histories of Black business and Black entrepreneurship. Unquote. And I agree.
1: Couldn't agree more. Um, I've been smiling, reading this entire uh, story and talking about it with you. So I'm curious, what are your takeaways, Beth?
0: Well, as one judge said, she lived by her wits.
1: Yes. um, And she
0: came from nothing and managed to get on the same level as white mobsters, which was really impressive. Yeah. Oh, yeah, she was badass and took no shit. I love that about her. Yeah, I loved how she would uh, publish stuff in the news. I know.
1: Yeah, it was it was like pre-Twitter, like the Twitter yeah. of the time, <laughs> right? Before it Elon was. Musk ruined it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I can't help but admire her. You know? Yeah. Yeah. She took on Dutch Schultz when the men wouldn't. Right. And yeah. It's it's kind of sad how she faded out. But, um, I'm hoping that she did have money and, and, uh, she was happy. Yeah. Yeah yeah also i i loved learning about the harlem renaissance because i really didn't know anything about it before yeah, we started yeah. this
1: yeah it is a it's a really fascinating and and i think we recent maybe the last episode we recorded we talked about the but roaring we 20s We mentioned
0: it we yeah. mentioned the Harlem renaissance but we didn't get into it yeah
1: right right but um my point is that the roaring 20s are not appealing interesting exciting or even like um looked at fondly by black people but right. when you mention harlem renaissance it is a yeah. part it is its, its own separate thing. like thing yeah yeah and that that this is the part of that era that i love um yeah. and it endures to this day which yeah. is really 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 right. rad
2: Very um
1: cool. so she's my hero <laughs> I love this woman. <laughs> her style, her bad all of the forces were against her. Um, you know, uh there's that immigrant mentality that she's got. There's that you know, I don't know if you remember T-shirts from a couple of years back during the election where it was like black women, don't worry about it. I'll just do it. Or, um <laughs> uh, you know, that that's that that's the whole reason Joe Biden is is in office. We don't love Joe Byron. Like he's all right. But um, better than knew, the alternative. Was, he was yeah. the, he was the best option. So, yeah. you know, there's this sort of um, we have to do what's best for ourselves and the collective. Right. And she, right. that was that. That she, that's what she was all about. I love that. Um, because of her existence in the world as a woman, as a black woman and an immigrant and poor initially, um, all those forces couldn't he- keep her down. And she yeah. just did the damn thing and I yeah. love that. Love, 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 love. Yeah. So um, now we're going to get into how oh, not to get murdered. So if you love true crime and you don't want to die, here's a tip for you.
0: This segment is not intended to be victim-blaming. We thought of this segment because I read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer. This is not meant to blame the victims. It's just learning from other people's experiences.
1: Well, y'all, if I'm being honest, it is election night. I had a hard time coming up with tips on how not to get murdered. I'm just trying to preserve my rights and live. <laughs> so, um, I, I I apologize. This episode is obviously going to air after election night, but I voted to keep my rights and to keep the rights of my kids and for equity and for liberty and justice for all. Um, and I, I just wanted to remind people that Stacey Abrams, who's running for governor in Georgia, said, if your candidate or proposal doesn't win, you don't pack up your marbles and go home. You keep working. And we might need a minute if things don't turn out the way we wanted or hoped and we might be discouraged um and you know maybe you're listening to this and you're like yay red wave <laughs> whatever <laughs> i don't care you might be excited but just wanted to remind y'all keep going keep fighting this is uh not a perfect country but it can be and we fight we rest and repeat. And we take care of, um, ourselves and each other in the meantime. So it just, just a reminder. That's okay. all. Cool. Thank you. <sighs> Do you have anything to add? Any, um, uh, I don't know, a, uh, tasers um weapons any nope. any bunkers that we can nope. purchase at a discounted price uh there
0: might be one in uh what was that
1: one from yeah uh, yeah uh, in Arizona new story okay yeah. well um I just <laughs> left Arizona but that is a very attractive well, come back for a bunker yeah, incentive yeah. totally totally uh, i forget <laughs> the name
0: of that. That place. What's
1: the name of that place? Oh, Waddell. 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 Yes. In, in Waddell. Yeah. Ah, uh, yes. Waddell. Yeah. That's where we'll all have to go. Okay, Fruities. Um, so now. We'll meet up in Waddell. there's see a you there. <laughs> we'll see you there. <laughs> Oh, Lord help us. So now it is shout out time where we shout out any content by any people of color, any um, LGBTQ folks, any marginalized folks, really any buyer about them or any true crime goodies just got to from me wild crime on hulu have you been watching it i haven't yet no but it's
0: on my uh watch list
1: yes well even old whitey enjoys it and so oh. if, if you if you have somebody in your mist who's not who's like murder show, they yeah. might like this oh, okay, <laughs> um, cool. so me and my husband have liked that one and then uh, it's about you know, murders and crimes that take place in national parks and in the wilderness. And mm. then also um, the children's show that's been distracting me this evening is Wendell and wild. And mm. It reunites Key and Peel. Oh, wow. Member. Member yeah, and it's an I animated do. stop motion horror comedy film oh, wow. about demons and the prison industrial complex. Oh my god. And there's <laughs> it's like it's it's for kids though. So. And it's um, and it's comedy. <laughs> yeah, and it's comedy. And it's it's really fun. And it's all the voices that grown ups are totally familiar with, like Angela Bassett is in it, and a bunch wow. of other people. Um, there's the young girl from. Um, this is us she's a voice on it anyway it's um it's just fun it's just very fun. cool so
0: what do you right got? On. i wanted to shout out the serpent queen on stars oh she tells the story of her life to rahima a servant girl revealing how oh. she came to enter the french royal court at the age of 14
1: oh. and
0: uh, samantha morton plays Catherine. Okay. Senia Nanua is uh, Rahima, and I don't think I've ever seen her in anything, but I really like her.
1: Okay. Um, okay.
0: She's she's Black.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome.
0: Love it. And then I wanted to say that Michael Hobbs from Maintenance Phase and formerly on You're Wrong About has a new podcast called If Books Could Kill. <laughs>
1: oh. Yeah, and this sounds amazing
0: okay yeah it's about trash books that misled
1: us <laughs> oh I love it. You know, I love the flood of people calling out and revealing misleading information. Yeah, yeah. It's so necessary. And so this sounds fantastic. Yeah. Um, So is it out?
0: Yeah, there's only one episode out right now. But by the time this airs, there should be at least two, if not three.
1: Okay, fantastic. So just to recap, that is Wild Crime on Hulu, Wendell and Wild on Netflix, The Serpent Queen on Stars, and Michael Hobbs's podcast called If Books Could Kill, <laughs> wherever <laughs> you get your podcast. <laughs> oh man, I'm sad again. That's it. It's time. Oh, gimme, give gimme give go. Oh, no. I was, I was just gonna say, I was just gonna pretend I'm guzzling Zola, so I won't be sad. go, 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 go. <laughs> But you can't do that. That's dangerous. No. So don't do that. And I'm don't not do a doctor, that. so don't listen to a word I say. Also, don't fact check me on anything. Anyway, it's the end of our show, Beth. It sure is. Can you remind the people where they can find us until the next time that we meet?
0: Sure. Our website is FruitLoopsPod.com and we use Fruit Loops Pod for all of our social media. Join our discussion group on Facebook at Fruit Loops Pod Discussion. If you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash app. Just Google Fruit Loops Pod Cash app, or you can become a monthly patron through Patreon. And as always, we have merch for sale on our website.
1: That's right. Now this is a weekly podcast and new episodes drop every Thursday. So until next time. Look alive, y'all. It's crazy out there.